This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today I am speaking with Perry Saznat and Kyle Langley of Glacier National Park. These two are part of the team that makes Headwaters, a podcast about the history and critical issues facing Glacier National Park. How do you tell a story about this place that's not just how pretty how pretty the mountains are, or, you know, looking for grizzly bears? You know, this park has so many more uh, stories to tell, and it really deepens the experience, I think, for anyone who visits this place. Headwaters is an amazing resource made possible by the Glacier National Park Conservancy, and I'm excited to learn more about it. Perry, Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. Hi there. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks very much. So tell us, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Perry, let's start with you. I mostly grew up in Seattle, although I was born in Boston. My mom is an artist and has worked in publishing and lots of different careers. My dad is a techie. He worked at Microsoft. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, um, and both my parents are lawyers. Perry, would love to know kind of how you made your way into this space you occupy at Glacier National Park. Talk about uh, your professional summary. Well, I started as a geologist. I did my undergrad and my master's in geology, mostly focusing on natural hazards, earthquakes, and volcanoes. And then the more I did that, the more I started to think about kind of this interface with science and society Mm -hmm. and how important science communication is and not just doing the research, but also being able to communicate that to people. And so from there, I started working for the Park Service and doing more outreach and education. And at the time, I didn't know there was a field called science communication, but eventually I started doing that and got into doing more media, like video production and eventually found my way to the media team at Glacier doing interpretive media and science communication. And so it sounds like this is a space, science communication, that the park system invests in. Yeah, we tell all kinds of stories, whether that's science, whether that's cultural resources, whether that's just people stories, pretty much anything that we think will make a good story and that we think we can communicate something Teach people something, yeah. tell them a story, make them feel something. We'll get into some of the stories you tell here in a few moments. Kyle, you are an archaeologist. Some people might not not know that national parks employ archaeologists. Talk about, one, how you got into that space and then how you landed at a national park. I've been an archaeologist at uh, Glacier for the last eight seasons. I got into archaeology originally uh, just as a, with a love of history, love of the past. Um, So in undergraduate um, at University of Colorado Boulder, I studied history and anthropology. And, you know, when I graduated, I needed to figure out what I was going to do for a job. And it turns out that historians uh, are, you know, underpaid and hard to find a job, whereas there's plenty (laughs) of people that are higher archaeologists. Uh, And the reason for that is that um, the United States, we have a network of of laws, such as the National Historic Preservation Act, that um, mandate that federal agencies uh, maintain updated records of their archaeological sites, as well as uh, mitigate impacts to those sites. Um, and so actually almost every national park unit, um, as well as national forests and uh, Bureau of Land Management offices, almost all have archaeologists. And so you work on some of the storytelling with Perry we'll, that we'll get to, but you know, what is kind of the, the day-to-day for you if, you can, if there is such a thing? 
Yeah, well, there is a wide variety of things that we do in the day to day. Um, and they can range from, let's say, the park wants to install a new food hanging uh, installation in the backcountry for, you know, in, the, in our backcountry sites in the park, you have to throw um, these metal poles up to hang food so the bears don't get to them. But those installations actually disturb the soil hmm. down to you know, almost up to a meter and a half. And so we'll go out before those installations are put in do an excavation or a test and make sure that those uh, aren't going to disturb any um, known or previously unrecorded archaeological sites. And that would just be like a microcosm of what we do on a, on a, you know, every project that happens in the park that disturbs the soil, we're usually out there in some form or another. We don't get to communicate what we find with people very often. You know, maybe at a campground, I'll mention to somebody that we're camping with that night what we're doing. But for the most part, it goes unknown. And so it's great to have uh, people like Perry and the program here, uh, you know, in, interpretive staff as well, uh, you know, sharing what we learn with the public. Yeah. What is the craziest thing you found in the dirt? Well, there is a site that we uh, visited a few summers back. It's up at almost 8,000 feet um, and it's a snow patch that's melting out. And to get there, you have to climb up these rough, rocky scree fields and you know, up the top, there's a bunch of bison skulls and bison bones melting out of a snow patch. And mm. it really makes no sense why there were bison there and how they got there. And uh, we actually were fortunate enough to be able to do some testing a few summers back. And uh, some of those bison teeth came back at almost 5,000 years old. So the two of you are part of a team that makes Headwaters, this wonderful podcast that um, Glacier National Park puts out. Talk about that, Perry. Uh, whose idea was it? Um, how did you sort of decide that podcasting and audio storytelling was something that you thought the park should be doing? Podcasts are just a great way, I think, to be able to tell long-form stories. You can put out a 45-minute episode, and you just have a long time to spend with your listeners. And so you can tell stories that are really nuanced and you can really go into depth on a topic in a way you can't always in other mediums. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed like a great, yeah, a great venue to be able to tell some of the stories of, of Glacier National Park and to dig into some untold stories too, to be able to do a long form project like this and dig into, be able to really research stuff and spend a lot of time with it has been a great opportunity to, yeah, to find some of those untold stories and share them with people. And so, Perry, at what stage did, did you get involved in this project? Were you on the team from the start, or did you come later? So I had actually worked in Glacier in another position in 2017 and 18, and then left. And I remember listening to season one of the podcast. Um, there's a story in the Many Glacier episode where they go visit Grinnell Glacier with a couple people, one who works for the USGS and has done a lot of repeat photo work there, and another person who hadn't been there since the 80s. And I was just like, this is such a cool way to tell this story and a project that I would love to be involved in. And, and Kyle, what was your sort of on-ramp to this uh form of storytelling. You mentioned a few moments ago, you don't often get to engage the public or tell you tell your findings directly to the public. I'm sure that was a big part of the appeal. Yeah, I think when the uh, Headwaters crew was kind of planning out season three, you know, it was very focused on human history and the human element of, of the park. And, you know, I think 
coming to the archaeology program was kind of a natural place that they would wind up. So it was kind of just happenstance. You know, we were actually just doing our, our normal day-to-day job and, and um, Barry and Gabby and Michael all tagged along. Super. Let's talk about that season three. Becoming is the name of sort of the, the season. The premise of that season is the history before Glacier became Glacier National Park. First off, why was it important to, to tell this story? Why did you think that people needed to know the story of the place before it became the place that they're experiencing now? I'm always thinking of these landscapes as evolving places. And what we see now is a very brief snapshot in time, you know, whether you're talking about like fires coming and going across the landscape, whether you're talking about mountains rising and eroding away. But I think it also applies to history too. You know, we kind of look at the layout of this landscape now and how it's set up as a national park and kind of seems like that is how it's always been and how it will always be. Mm -hmm. But it's really had a, a very short lifetime. It felt important to, yeah, just to push on that idea a little bit and talk more about and investigate more about how did this place come to be? What was it before? And how have these stories from over 100 years ago, what are their echoes now? And how did you approach the work? How did you organize your your approach to sort of uncovering this history and, and, and figuring out what stories to tell? A couple of people that worked just over the winter before our summer season when we actually produced the show, just researching. And there's so many topics in history and in anything. But it's one thing to have an interesting topic and another thing to find a story. Who is a character that we can tell this story through their eyes? Who's you know a character that we can follow and care about? Kind of trying to find those stories is sort of how this project started. You know, who could we actually talk to? Who could we interview? Who could tell this story? Whose voice could could communicate that? And so figuring out who to interview, going out in the field with them or sitting down and talking to them and then, yeah, editing it all together. Super. And Kyle, talk about your your role in the project. I mean, you mentioned the field work um, and just having the team come along to, to check out a day in the field. But um, yeah, what were some of the the stories that you had particular input to and how did that come to life? The primary uh, episode that um, I contributed to was uh, an investigation of a historic cabin site. The The task that we had set for ourselves, we kind of, you know, there's these this old site on a map that for years and years and years had eluded um, archaeologists and uh, it was kind of annoying um, actually, after having worked at the park for like six years that we had never found this and my coworker had spent years looking for it for too. And so, yeah, there's, so there's legend of a cabin out in the woods and nobody had been able to find it. Is that, is that kind of the, what's happening here? Yeah, there was this cabin and, uh, we'd spent a better part of a day, um, looking for it a, a few years ago. We finally found a little, a little trace, um, just some metal cans and it was, three years, I think, until the podcast was um, being recorded that we were like, well, we should go back there and actually see if we can find more than just these, you know, handful of artifacts. And we ended up bringing up a bunch of equipment and we spent, I don't know, three, four hours out there and uh, ended up being quite successful. I think uh, we found the uh, actual 
it's kind of like framework potentially of the cabin. And Spoiler alert. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that is in the episode. But yeah, it's a small community of park employees, you know, and so we all socialize and chat or see each other at all employee meetings. It's like, oh, what are you working on? Oh, what are you doing? It's like, oh, we're searching for this mystery cabin and we we think we found it, but we're going back. And we were like, okay, we've got to get in on this. And so when you find, you know, when, you, when you're sort of on the, on the trail or not the trail as it were uh, for a cabin <laughs> or, you know, a, a site that you think there might be a finding that's worth investigating, maybe talk a little bit about the methodology you use, Kyle. You said, yes, an artifact doesn't tell a story. How do you then construct a story from the artifacts you find? How do you make sense of this cabin on a map or the things you find at the site? A historic site is probably the most straightforward thing to think about. So we define historic as anything that's like prior to, we'll say like older than 50 years. But when we, talk, we refer to like a historic site, we're thinking like, um, late 1800s through like the 1960s, 1970s. And so there's quite a few sites at the park. And the first thing we want to do is obviously an inventory, a survey. So we try to be systematic and do a grid survey and then try to find artifacts that have diagnostic markers. So a really nice one is like a, a glass uh, bottle. If you look at the base, a lot of times those have um, maker's marks, which is like comes from the factory that they were made at. And you can you know say that this bottle was made at this date. Um, and, you know, those bottles may have a function like, you know, ketchup bottle or a can that was for, you know, condensed milk. And so you start getting a little bit of a story together. So um, a site that I have in mind, we found this whole range of artifacts that were from the late 1920s, early 1930s. And um, one of the bottles was a soda bottle that had been manufactured by a, a manufacturer that um, had previously made alcohol, but during the prohibition, they switched over to soda mm. and we actually found the soda version of the alcohol bottle. And so it's like, <laughs> oh, cool. So right here we have this time and place. We'll be back to my conversation with Perry Sasnet and Kyle Langley after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. This is Anne Helen Peterson, and I am a senior culture writer at BuzzFeed News, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Perry Sasnet and Kyle Langley about their work on the Headwaters podcast. And so across that season, season three, talk about the history of oil extraction, wolf reintroduction, um, whiskey running, a few other topics, but I'd love to kind of talk about uh, one episode in particular, uh, Recolonized, and you're talking about sort of the the history of the land from the standpoint of the indigenous folks who have occupied that land for many, many years. How did you approach that part of the storytelling? I think, I mean, of course, one of the you're telling a history of Glacier and you can't tell that without talking about the indigenous people who've been here for since time immemorial and are still here today and have a lot of stories to tell. And I think one of the great things about podcasting is that unlike a lot of mediums, like, you know, if I'm writing an article, I could quote someone, but it's fundamentally sort of filtered through my writing. Mm -hmm. But in podcasting, 
you can hear directly from people and people can tell their own stories. And so that's one of definitely been one of my favorite aspects of this podcast is getting to sit down with so many different people and hear so many different stories from them and and to share those with our listeners because you know people are listening to the show yeah who are interested in glacier maybe have been here from all across the country and they probably would never get to meet a lot of the people that we have on the show and sit down with both you know whether that's tribal members or or not and so to be able to share those voices directly with our listeners yeah has been one of the best parts of the show there is essentially uh, you know a thing that happened in the past but none of us were there for it and so we are in the future trying to recreate what happened and there are an infinite amount of interpretations for any single event. You could even be talking about something that happened last week and everyone in this room could have a different interpretation of something that happened last week. So that's kind of the, the biggest challenge for any anthropologist, archaeologist, and, you know, in historian, whatever, but something that helps resolve that issue. It is like creating, recreating a puzzle, but each piece of that really helps you gain a clearer picture. So if you just rely on one interpretation over and over and over again, you're not going to get a full view. And so Almost all of anthropology in the last 50 years uh, largely ignored the indigenous perspective of their own stories, largely. Um, and that's being rectified, I think, in, the, in this generation. But, um, you know, I think in almost every one of the stories, you had a perspective of somebody that was, you know, indigenous, and that complements maybe a non-indigenous perspective of the same event. And the more of those perspectives that you can get, the closer you get towards what actually happened. Thinking of this in a broader context, I mean, we see a lot of news stories about the pressure on the resource that the park is experiencing record attendance year after year, moving to a permitting system, just a lot of pressure, people wanting to go to Glacier and, and, and experience the landscape. Have you experienced an, a complementary increase in the demand for knowledge about the park? Are people more curious about it, wanting to learn these stories? And how is the park kind of dealing with scaling up the education and outreach piece to, uh, to correspond with the increase in demand for just being there? I would like to think that there is an inexhaustible demand for, you know, just a curiosity about wanting to know about these places that we care so much about. And I think that with the, I mean, there've always been books and stuff that you could seek out, but I think the advent of digital media and things like, you know, podcasting as well as other digital media, you can be anywhere and you can have, maybe you visited Glacier once 30 years ago and you loved it and you want to learn more and mm -hmm. you can do that now a lot more easily than trying to find some out of print book, special ordering it, you know? So I would like to think that the curiosity is always there and we are finally able to meet that curiosity better. Sure. Kyle, do you have a perspective on that? I think the biggest challenge is that, you know, the vast majority of visitors these days are, you know, very short term visitors. They're, they're driving in, they're driving the Gunnison road and they leave. And how do you, tell them anything in that short period of time. And, you know, the park has a wide variety of tools they've tried. And I think it'd be interesting to know how many people actually are able to engage with them. I mean, um, wayside exhibits certainly reach 
going, going to send road drivers. You've got the interpretive programs in the park in the evenings. But um, yeah, you know, exploring all these different mediums, trying to reach people that are driving in their cars that, you know, how do you tell a story about this place that's not just how pretty, how pretty the mountains are, or, you know, looking for grizzly bears. You know, this park has so many more uh, stories to tell, and it really deepens the experience, I think, for anyone who visits this place. Yeah, and I was having a conversation years ago with your colleague from the Glacier National Park Conservancy, Doug Mitchell, talking about support for the park, what that means, both in terms of like going to the park, donating money to the conservancy, volunteering for trail work, other forms of support. Um, I would assume that, you know, outreach like this, science education, like your domain, Perry, it has to have meaningful outcomes in, in, in that space. How, what gives you hope that, that the work you're doing is, is, is resonating with people and making them feel more engaged in, in what's happening in, at Glacier? We once were having a conversation in the office and kind of went around and I said something like, you know, I just want to make people think. And hmm. someone else, on that, thinking that that was sort of what we would all agree on, that that was sort of the axiom. And then another member of the team said, oh, well, I just want to make people feel. And then someone else on the team said, well, I just want to make people care. And so we all kind of come at it from these different angles. But in the end, we just want people to find their own connection with this place, whatever that means, and however they might apply that. You know, maybe they never come here, but they have, they find a different relationship with nature where they live. They define their relationship with the natural world differently. Maybe they understand history differently and never come here at all, but maybe they do come here and they have a more meaningful experience because of something that they heard on the show. In the remaining time, I'd love to hear, I mean, Kyle, we already heard about the uh, bison remains at 8,000 feet, but I'd love to hear about surprises or stories that just captivated you that you couldn't sort of that just had to be in the show. Perry, are any any stories that stand out as just ones that got a hold of you in a special way? I mean, I think that the story we worked on together definitely grabbed me quite a bit. I remember as we sort of divvied up the stories at the beginning of the season, it was it was one of the last ones left. It was about the fur trade. I was like, I don't know anything about the fur trade. This is not jumping out to me, but fine. And I really got sucked in. And I think this story kind of grabbed all of us in some ways. And I think, you know, part of it is like, well, it's a great story. There's a mystery cabin, but it ended up being so far reaching. Like the Joe Kip is this character that we follow through this story. And his family w had connections all over the country. Like I went to college in New York City and the Kipps Bay neighborhood in Manhattan is named for this Kip family. But then also the we talked to Jack Gladstone, who's a Native America Speaks presenter um, with the park and a musician, and talked with him about history that connected to the fur trade. Like one of his ancestors was involved in building some of those forts in the fur trade. And then he sings in his songs about the repercussions of the whiskey trade. And it all just sort of, there's just so many facets of it. And it really 
drew me in. If I had to pick a, um, one of my favorite subjects, I was actually not involved in it at all, but I really enjoyed the, um, you know, history of oil extraction in the park um, because it is just truly not something people think about, except, you know, I have, you know, in the eight years been here, we've recorded gosh knows how many old mining camps and, and oil extraction sites. And, um, you know, just this last summer, I don't, it was actually after the podcast, but we went and recorded yet another cool old oil derrick site that had these big wheels that were like, you know, meter and a half tall. And we actually had some petroleum engineers from the Washington office come out in the park last summer. And we walked around and recorded and looked at a bunch of these old oil derricks and, um, they actually found a few that were uh, still like semi-active, like they were leaking a little bit. And so they're actually going to come in the next few years and cap those. But we actually have, you know, whole towns, um, you know, in the park, you know, that were mining towns that have been flooded. And now you just see little remains on the in, in the mud. And it's just, it's a fun part of Glacier's history. And I guess it conflicts a little bit with people's traditional understanding of this place in terms of like this idea of what a quote unquote pristine environment is, but really it's glaciers, just a, just a place like anywhere else. And it has its own story, just like anywhere else. Especially that oil story really reinforces the, I mean, one of the taglines for the season was that history doesn't stay in the past. You know, these oil wells that people drilled well over a hundred years ago, we're still dealing with the consequences today, both literally, okay, there's leaking wells that we need to cap, but also climate change and the carbon that's in the atmosphere from that well. So yeah, it just, it really made me see history in a new way. So Perry, what are the stories you're looking to tell in the future? You've got, you know, four seasons out right now. Uh, what are what's the storyboard look like for the future? What are you interested in? Well, the season that we're going to work on over the winter and into next summer is another history season that will be more focused on the 20th century. So I'm yeah excited to I'm excited to do a history project where there are people alive who remember the things that happened. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm excited about that. And we have a collection of stories coming out right now about people and animals and glacier. And we have a series of climate conversations that will also come out over the winter. Conversations with different experts about different facets of climate change. And then, yeah, next summer we'll be working on another history season. Super. So if folks want to learn more about Headwaters, subscribe, rate, review, do all those things, where would you direct them online? If you're interested in learning more about the show, you can go to glacier.org slash headwaters. That's a landing page on the Glacier National Park Conservancy's site. They support the show in so many ways. We definitely could not do it without them. Um, and you can yeah, see more about the show on their website. Super. Well, I love what you two are up to, you and your team. I appreciate you sharing uh, some of the stories with us today and just making this this show in general. I think it's such a great resource. There's so many folks, uh, myself included, that, that enjoy Glacier National Park and have been doing so without a knowledge of you know, much of the history and parts of the park we just don't know about. So thank you for doing this work. I really appreciate learning more about it.
Yeah, thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.